Hey everyone, it's Robert here. If you haven't already checked out our Team Room page on Facebook, and you're on Facebook, make sure that you head over to the Mentors for Military page by searching Mentors, the number 4MIL on Facebook, and then you'll find a groups page. Be sure to join that. Meet up with like-minded people. We've got some big things headed our way. In this episode here, I'm so happy to bring back Emily. Emily is also known on Instagram as Gun Bunny Actual, and if you don't follow her, I definitely encourage you to do so. Back in September of 2016, Emily was on episode 61. If you haven't listened to that episode, slide back into the Mentors for Military podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and check out episode 61. I encourage you to do so. This is part two of that episode and takes us into the new life and the new world of what's going on with her as she begins her transition out of the Army and why that is occurring. I hope you really enjoy this episode. Please be sure to go out there on iTunes and leave us some feedback and let us know how we're doing. You can also give us a rating, give us uh, some comments and everything on that. And thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Get ready to sit back and enjoy another episode of Mentors for Military. The rocking chair. The rocking chair is my big analogy. Am I making this big production about this kind of appearance of movement, like sitting there rocking away in a rocking chair? But when you're in that rocking chair, you're not ever going anywhere. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. So, Emily, you don't know. You've never met Scott Johnson. Scott, maybe you no. kind of give a little bit of your background. And I kind of filled her in just with a British EOD. That's about all I said. So I'm British EOD. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're all caught up. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm ex-British Army, Emily. So uh, I was an EOD um, engineer for eight years. Um, been out 14 years now. Um oh. And I run a company now called Veteran Owned UK, which is an online business directory for veterans who either own businesses or are self-employed um, to try and get them out there in front of the public and, and get them more business effectively. So I've been doing the podcast now for six months, Robert, I think. Yeah, February. something like that. Uh, early, early February, I think it was, late January. So we haven't got rid of him yet. That's a good, you know. Yeah, usually they had me as a guest, and I've I've been back every day, every episode since. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> nice to meet you. Good to meet you too. Where are you? Are you are you outside of Hood? Yes, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm just outside of Hood, and, and I'm I'm actually staying in Belton, which is a little farther east. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not as bad, but it's all it's all bad, and it's. Uh, true story i was stationed at port in texas 1989 1990 no no after the gulf war so 1991 1992 and uh breaking track in the motor pool on a friday afternoon at four o'clock as i saw a hemet load of track come in for a a, a couple of tracks and a cev we broke track and changed uh the different track on on two different vehicles two different family vehicles till about two o'clock in the morning on a saturday morning and uh, I dropped my packet off at the SF recruiter that next week and said, I am, I am <laughs> out of here. Yeah. A thousand degrees in a motor pool and I hate armored vehicles. Uh, so yeah, that just drove me away. Yeah. I, 
I dropped my my flight packet out of Fort Hood as well. I mean, I, I started my packet when we were deployed to Iraq, but I was yeah. enlisted here at, here at Hood, and it was purgatory. Yeah. So, so and now you're back. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah. So they, they decided that you didn't get enough, and so they sent you back there as your last assignment, huh? Yeah, it's been three. I, I've been stationed here at Hood three times, once when I was enlisted and then twice as an aviator. Oh, so God. They, they really hate me. Yeah, that's that's like your home station now, it sounds yeah. like. It's super racist. They're just racist against girls. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? They're all girl pilots there? Because if it so, is. I'll move it. Well, move all back. Apache pilots are kind of girls. What? But, I mean, they're vaginas, just grown men with Even vaginas. Boys are girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I was trying to look back and see how long it's been, M, since you were on it. I think it's been over a year ago, hasn't it? Since you were on the show, yeah, I think I think it was in 2016. So yeah. I think it was it's been almost two years. I was in Salt Lake City at a wedding and, and and recorded from the hotel. Yeah, that's yeah, it's been almost two years. It's crazy. Yeah, it has been. So what's this? I hear all of a sudden, you know, back injury or something, and next thing you know, you're getting out. Yeah, I I initially. Thank thank goodness for for medical records. I initially hurt my back in Iraq in 2006. It was when I was out driving the Hemet Wrecker for the engineers, and you know just just the wear and tear of the convoys, and you know we lived in out of the back of my Hemet, and so we would lift up the five gallon cans of you know gear oil and all the stuff we needed, the spare tires, all all the equipment that we needed out rolling around rolling around Baghdad. And I initially hurt my back then. Took some oral steroids, you know took a few days off, was back out. Then in the fall of 2016, we were out doing a field exercise, just a tent X. So no aircraft. We just went out to the field and we were establishing CPs, you know, establishing the base operations. And here I have a bunch of young, all the enlisted kids are, uh, are aircraft mechanics. They're very young. They are not super skilled at field operations. <laughs> and That's why they're aircraft mechanics, right? We want them to keep aircrafts in the air. Yes. We, don't, we don't want them digging fighting positions on the ground. It, it, right. that's, a, that's exactly it. So I'm out with a small company, and you know, a company in aviation is 29 or 30 people. So I've got 16 or 17 enlisted kids, and we are expected, we roll out and we dump the circus tents out and the generators and the power distribution panels and all the stuff that these kids are have no idea what they're doing. So I break out, you know, rip off my warrant officer rank and break out my enlisted stripes and grab a sledgehammer and start showing them how it's done. And I hook up the generator and run all the cabling and I'm digging, you know, digging um, ditches to run, run the power to all the tents. And um, that's kind of what that one picture is of me, like demanding that the kid hand me the sledgehammer. Was, I remember that. Yeah. And yeah. when I saw that, I, I couldn't figure out what setting you were in or what timeline that was, you know, at that time frame. I don't remember yeah. if you stated it in the post, but I do remember you stated in the post, this was when it all happened and, you know, yeah. give me that damn hammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I went, um, went, you know, spent Thanksgiving and that was when I realized that something was really wrong. Like this wasn't going to be a two or three days on a heating pad and, you know, go in and get the Toradol cocktail in my butt from the dock and, you know, my normal flare ups from my back. Um, something was really wrong. Mm. So 
be in the army, even as an aviator, you still got to go do the physical therapy dance and you got to go do, you know, all these less invasive means. And I did eight or nine months where I was grounded, but I was, you know, continuously working on getting, getting back up. And fortunately I have a skill set as an aviation maintenance um, officer that I can still kind of do my job. You know, I can still contribute without, without actually wiggling the controls. And, um, that was when uh, they they switched me to a different battalion to go on the UCOM rotation, and I was able to get back up. You know, my back was feeling good enough with that constant chiropractic care, constant physical therapy, doing everything I was doing. So I made it out to the UCOM rotation. Suddenly, I'm doing 10,000 steps a day in boots. You know, we don't have cars. I don't have that, you know, immediate access to my chiropractor and kind of all the stuff. Everything is a five-hour train ride away to launch stool. Um, And so my back really deteriorated to the point over the last um, or the over that over that seven months where my brigade commander finally stopped me one day and was like, Emily, come on, what are you doing? And it was really emotional for me because I I went to launch duel and got an MRI. And the day I got my MRI, TQ at Longbow Roasters, TQ was texting me saying, hey, we've got a test flight to do today. You know, are you going to be back in time? And I said, hey, man, I'm at launch duel. It's a three-hour drive, but I'm, I'll be back. Like, I'm going to hustle. You know, I'll get my get my MRI knocked out. I'll be in the rental car, get on the Autobahn, yay, and uh, <laughs> and, haul, and haul butt back to Illishime. So I hauled butt back to Illishime. I climbed in the aircraft with James. It was, it was kind of – that was – it was kind of a poignant moment. He was like, do you want to get in the front seat or the back seat? And I was like, oh, I'll get in the back seat. Cause that's where you're actually kind of wiggling the sticks and the guy in the front seats running the computer for the track and balance for the maintenance. And, um, so I jump in the back seat and it's me and James, like we've been flying together since 2009, you know, I've PCS with, you know, with him and his wife now across the, across the country, back and forth across the country a couple of times we've deployed together three times. And, um, we pulled back into parking and we're pulling into the parking and I normally have to, to get on the tow brakes of the aircraft. You have to pick both feet up off the ground and apply the tow brakes to actually apply the wheel brakes on the helicopter. And we're pulling into parking and we just reading off the checklist. And I'm like, um, James automatically says, Hey, I'm braking, you know, to show that he's braking so that we don't inadvertently flip the helicopter over while we're pushing on the pedals. Oh, geez. And, um, I'm on the controls kind of taxiing us into parking. And uh, I just said to him, I was like, Hey man, you need to break. Like I can't get both feet up off the ground. Um, Oh my God. I I can't like be on the flight controls and then lift my feet up. Um, And he's like, huh? What? Like this is out of sequence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I said, yeah, man, like I can't break. My back is crushing me. My back is just crushing me. So he broke, he broke, and I guarded and we get the aircraft all shut down and we're not wearing body armor. We're, I mean, this is as easy as my job gets. A European rotation is as easy as my job gets. It's flying one or two hours, these really quick test flights. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not, we're not wearing body armor around. I'm not riding in Humvee, you know, I'm not riding in uh, vehicles. I'm not sleeping on it on a cot. But anyways, um, I have to sit in the aircraft for like 10 minutes before I can even climb out. And I have to kind of gingerly climb out of the aircraft. And then I just lay it on the parking pad, just lay it on the concrete. 
um, for another 10 or 15 minutes before I could get up and, and walk in. And that was kind of, I mean, that wasn't kind of, that was when I knew I was done and it was super emotional, super emotional to know that, um, I was too young. Like I'm, I'm, I'm too young to, uh, to not be able to, <laughs> to walk. Um, and, uh, then after that I went and saw the neurosurgeon, they told me that, you know, I've got, um, bone on bone, L4, L5, S1, um, surgery, no surgery, you know, I'm in, even when I'm a fatty, I'm in relatively good shape for a fatty. Um, so that's, um, and, you know, and, you know, besides that, I, I, I think to be perfectly honest with you, I was just kind of mentally and emotionally tired too. Um, I, you know, I had a six year break in service. So I originally came in in 1996. So all in all, you know, I feel like, I feel like I have 22 years, even though I only have 16 and some change. And, um, the aircraft was having a lot of issues. We were having a lot of maintenance issues uh, with the strap packs and accidents and, you know, my buddies dying and, um, there's no short, luckily it's the same, you know, special operations. There's no shortage of super excited young blood waiting to come in the door behind you. So it's, it's one of those things where I had to contemplate like how much of staying and like digging in like a tick was my ego and you know, Oh, they can't live without me. They can't. Well, bullshit. Yes, they can. They can do it without me and the guy next to me and the guy after me and the guy after me, like the the train is going to continue to move on without me. But will I be able to go hike and camp and golf and ski and (laughs) do things after with my after, what am I going to do with my after? So, um, I went to the flight doc and told him at at that point, I did not have a valid flight physical after, after that, when my MRI results came back, um, I would have had to apply for a waiver to keep flying. And so I went to my doc, I went to major Jones and said, what happens now if I don't want that waiver? And he laid out the process for me. And I said, yeah, I'm all done. And we kind of initiated the pre-initiated the MEB process, getting everything documented. And I thought I would make it through the remainder of the rotation. Um, but like I said, my brigade commander stopped me one day after he saw me kind of limping around and, um, did one of those, you're going home, you know, we're not, we're not having a discussion about it anymore. I'm sick of watching your bro gold ass limp around (laughs) to have the old lady limping around. You know, it's, it's tough. And I can remember the time that I saw my neurosurgeon for the first time after the MRI and, and some of the same things when the slides were up there. And, uh, basically the guidance was probably very similar to what they gave you is, uh, you got to change your lifestyle. You got to start thinking about doing things a lot differently than what you were accustomed to. And it's, uh, it was hard. It, it was hard to, uh, to embrace that. It is. It's, it's, it's a part of growing older, but it's also a part I think that I, I, I took for granted, um, that, you know, happening so early, Yeah, you know, I watch, you know, my, I watch my dad like struggle with his back pain and stuff. And, um, I, I, I take for granted how, how kind of hard this life is on us much more so for the guys on the ground, you know, carrying all the gear and out in it, you know, 
way way more than me but even being you know the the apache none of none of the art in inventory of army aircraft were designed for us to sit in those five point harnesses for eight or nine hours at a time the attacky was built attack apache was built for deep attack go in just like just like in the the first gulf war go in you know identify and destroy pre-identified targets and then gtfo and that's not what it turned into Clearly, it's not what it's turned into. And the Center for Army Safety has done a ton of studies now on, you know, in the future seat redesign and, and all of this stuff. But in the meantime, you know, you watch you watch guys out on the flight, flight line and they bring their own seat cushions and stuff with them because, you know, and in the Apache, we, you know, we're in it for 45 minutes to an hour before we ever pull pitch to get all our systems up and running to make sure our, you know, Visionics and all that stuff is operational checking our weapon systems and so on a given night even if i you know i'm logging five to six hours i'm truly you know sitting in that seat with the aircraft running for nine ten much much longer so it's it's beaten up on me and bitches get old <laughs> You know, it's funny, too, because Mike and I uh, recently were sitting down together chatting about this, and we were just uh, talking about basically the transition, trying to get your uh, VA stuff in order and, you know, whether it's worth going back and uh, occasionally getting it updated and all those types of things. And, uh, you know, I run into more guys than not that are former, you know, are veterans or former military, where when you start sitting down and actually talking to them and they talk about all the things that are wrong with them, you know, we all separate from the military, especially people who serve more than 10 plus years, the wear and tear on your body, you know, it's just going to be there. And, um, some unfortunately get you know hit in different ways, and and some it's going to catch up with them maybe a little bit later after their service, uh, where they're going to do something you know very simple, and next thing you know that the back's tweaked or whatever, but it was probably a prior injury that went unnoticed that actually starts taking over at that point. Or not unnoticed, but untreated mm-hmm. because we notice those injuries, we just suck it up and keep going. Right. Right. Take the, I mean, take because, the because yeah. Right. You take motor. You take a knee. You drink some water. Mm-hmm. And and you gotta you gotta keep pushing because there's you know while there may be a pipeline of people motivated and ready to come in and take your job, there's nobody right there to do it when you're mm-hmm. downrange. So it doesn't matter what happens to you, you you, you ruck up and you keep moving forward. Um, and, and I think I think that's maybe problematic for a lot of the guys in the force today. And I and I, I think that part of what we do here with the podcast is try to educate people. I mean, you got to take care of yourself. Just like, like Em's been telling us, man, you, you, there's a point when you hit the wall and, and you've got to step back and say, Hey, I need some help. And, and we're none of us doesn't matter what branch we're in. doesn't matter what, what, um, you know, occupational specialty we have. None of us are really good at doing that. Self-evaluating. The, the culture doesn't help either. Does it, you know, the bravado and, um, the 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 way everybody doesn't want to be seen to be weak, and even if you know that you've got an injuries, sometimes you'll just play through it and keep going and keep going because you don't want to, you know, stand up and say, "Hang on, there's there's something not right with me here." And even when you're not downrange, you know, and you've got the ability to to take some time out and, and get some treatment, um, and people don't do it and they just let it go and let it go and let it go and you'll go past that point then, and you know, it does. 
further damage being caused or irreparable damage even being caused and we just suck it up and get on with it like you said and it's 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 one of those things that is is really really bad for you and you know like like emily's story there and it's it's genuinely is is a really tough break emily because it's it's not on your terms now you know when you're leaving and, and that 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 isn't your game plan i guess and it's it's a horrible thing to go through and it's i don't know i don't i don't see an answer for it you know without changing the entire culture of the military and like you said seats you know a basic thing and how many years have those apache seats been like that they're still not changed and well it was probably a part of that even in the cobra i'm imagining yeah yeah um the i i find that the problem is even even further magnified in the aviation community because i have to pass a flight physical every year so i've got to go annually during my birth month and tell them tell them they will look at you is there anything you'd like to report and if i want my upslip if i want my flight pay, <laughs> you know, my additional little six hundred and fifty dollars a month to, to fly helicopters. Wow, that- I could have made six hundred and fifty dollars a month <laughs> if I would have just given up that big ass rucksack and started flying helicopters. <laughs> I made fun of so many guys that are going to be pilots. <laughs> it takes eight years as a pilot. Like the first, the first check is like one hundred and twenty-five extra bucks a month. Yeah. So. When you when you st- when you still really like it, they start paying you more when your body starts breaking down, <laughs> so that you'll stay. I, I got I got a pretty good supplement at my last couple of assignments for upper levels of leadership. So I I understand that. I should throw that out there as a caveat because all my buddies are going to hit me up and say yeah. you didn't want to give up your. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I find you know so now I'm going through the medical evaluation board progress where you know I'm going through. All, all of these things where I'm kind of in, I'm in the same pipeline as the piece of crap private who just doesn't like it and wants to go home to his sure. mommy. Yeah. I hate to put it like that, but that's the same exact pipeline that I am in. But that private, he went to sit call five days a week. He has every hangnail documented in his <laughs> army medical record. Because yeah. he's a turd. Because he's a turd. Yeah. But he's gonna get that that turd is gonna get hundred percent and get permanently yeah. permanently retired from the army. He's gonna have yeah. a blue ID card and and try care for the rest of his life. Now, yeah. someone like me who is saying, I I could potentially suffer from from some post traumatic stress. Yeah. I have I have a back injury. I have you know other things going on with me. They go. There's no record. Now, if I can say anything, and there's other aviators listening to this. Going in and getting a downslip from the flight surgeon does not go anywhere in your Alta. It does not go anywhere in your military record. I have gone in a dozen times for my back for just a quick temporary two or three day downslip. The doc gives me a shot, you know, puts me on a downslip. Hey, don't go fly. There have been other times where I just go, hey, as a CW3 maintenance test pilot, nobody's going to make me go fly if I say, hey, man, my back's bothering me. So I don't even bother with a downslip. I don't have to bother with a profile saying I can't do PT because nobody's going to make me come to PT. You know, so if you get a downslip, get a profile. Make them put a temporary two or three day profile in your system that says restricted from running push ups and sit ups, even if it's for three days, for a whatever, 
lower back, left knee, whatever the injury yep. is, um, because that goes in your record. That shows a documented chronic issue. And is it a little extra work on the flight doc? Sure, probably. He'll have one of the nuggets do it for him. I, I don't. I don't know, but. I was 11 or 12 years in the Army when I met a guy that was um, near the uh, place where people come and, you know, check in. You have to sign in for housing and all that kind of stuff. And I met the VA dude. And what he told me back then um, kind of stuck with me at that point. He said, um, good soldiers never go on sick call, but good veterans do. And what he was meaning was what you just described right there. Make sure you get some kind of documentation in your record so that you end up protecting yourself later on in the future. But, I mean, there's no doubt whatever you did is a service-related injury. I mean, are they are they trying to say it's not related? No, they – no, they, they, they are not. I think they are just – They wanted to know if it's chronic or, or – Yes. Yeah, okay. That makes yeah, sense, they, you know. Yeah, they – it, it does make sense. It does make sense. Unfortunately, like I said, I have, I do have the documentation for my back specifically going all the way back to 2006 and they can kind of see uh, the, the treatment from there. And they're really not, they're really not giving me a, too, too hard of a time. It's just, um, it's, it's just like, like you said, you know, this isn't, this isn't where I, two years from now when I talk, two years ago when I talked to you guys, this was not where I, you know, not where I saw myself sitting, getting ready to, to transition out. But I really, so as soon as I got that um, decision, as soon as I talked to the neurosurgeon in Germany, I immediately went and started talking to behavioral health back then once a week. And the very first question he asked me is I was like, this is kind of feeling real. Like I might not, I, I already know. Like I knew at that point, I cannot continue to fly. I don't know what this looks like from here on out. And that was, he was the first one to ask me the question, who is Emily? Mm. Who is Emily when she's not wearing the uniform? Who is Emily if she's not an Apache pilot? Who is Emily if she's not gun bunny actual? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'll always be gun bunny yeah, actual. Yeah, that doesn't leave. Always. Yeah, You yeah. can't ch ever change your name. I know you threw that out there a while back and said, should I? It's like, no, no, never. I Titties and yoga pants had a pretty good ring to it. <laughs> I did. That was freaking awesome. <laughs> it's kind of a good name. Um, but I, and so because, and I, I know we're, we'll talk about this more, but because of my sobriety, and at that point I'd, I'd been sober for almost a year and a half and had been really working on um, kind of digging some of that garbage up that I had been stuffing down with alcohol for a really long time, um, I, I was kind of, I was in a better position to handle it mentally and to start looking at those questions and think about what, what my purpose, motivation and direction was going to be outside of, you know, crushing bad guys in the face and, um, and, you know, being and generating combat power, you know, working, working on and around Apaches. So that's been, that's been the question. Yeah, and I know you uh, you kind of hit on that when I posed that question to you earlier about who is Emily outside of uniform. And I think that um, those of us who get a chance to retire or separate from the military after 20 years get that. We're already in that transition mode. We know it's coming. We know that day is going to arrive at some point and usually know that five years out even from then. You know, whenever that, that period is, whether it's going to be 20, 25, 30, whatever that period is going to be. But we've talked about it many times on this podcast with individuals who've had a medical discharge. They weren't prepared for it. 
They, mm-hmm. it's, it's a mental blow that happens so quickly um, that they haven't thought about the transition and what the afterlife is going to be. And so when it happens quick, and, and yours is going to take a little bit of time with the medical review board and everything else, uh, but for some it happens so quickly that they, they're out the door and, and they're trying to find who they are while at the same time frame their fa- family's trying to figure out what are you going to do, how are you going to pay the bills, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's just all of that starts compounding the already mental issue uh, and challenges that you have of who is Emily, what am I going to be, or who is Robert, what am I going to be when I grow up, uh, that you haven't really had the time to, to make the adjustment for. Yeah, the, you know, I've, I've learned a, I've learned a couple of, of valuable things. The, the first one is a really tangible one that I picked up just as a matter of fact, wandering around one of the mega job fairs they held here on Fort Hood. It was kind of, I'm, you know, I have a few minutes on my lunch break. They're having a job fair. This is a couple of weeks ago. I will just walk in. We'll see mm-hmm. what's up. We'll see mm-hmm. what's out there. And I was like, holy crap, there's cops everywhere. I do not want to be a cop. Ah, um, he, but when I'm starting to look at, hey, there's all these companies looking for maintenance managers, and I start pulling these little flyers with a job description, I start to realize how valuable, didn't know this term, my soft skills are. Oh, yeah. My hard skills are doing a right base turn to final in an Apache, maintaining all my standards, you know, and passing an evaluation every year to fly it, to fly an Apache, knowing my weather minimums. I never know my weather minimums. Uh, <laughs> or my emergency procedures. Jesus, take you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that I one was know. great. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know my EPs, man. It's been, I have a finite amount of room on my iceberg for so many penguins and those penguins got, got kicked off. So I learned that my soft skills, those leadership skills, those mentoring and coaching and organizational skills, especially being in a maintenance role in the military, because at the level I was working at on the commanders on the battalion commander, special staff is his aviation maintenance officer. I now have to communicate maintenance to people that do not speak maintenance. Yeah, right. My entire life I had been surrounded by other grease monkeys that spoke maintenance. So it was a huge learning curve for me to break it down crayon and construction paper style to a man that didn't know what I was talking about when I said we're having, you know, a hydraulic pressure feedback issue in the primary hydraulic system that's causing pump room, you know, all all the stuff I would just kind of regurgitate and he would glaze over. Um, So those type of skills, learning how to communicate, um, applying the applying just the, the base army values to how you operate uh, on a daily basis is is a big part. You know, no matter what we do, we have the capability to go into whether it's you know working night shift at a Taco Bell or going and managing a Fortune 500 company. We can apply those things, and I, I, was, I just wasn't aware. I just wasn't aware yeah. of that. 
You know, and I, I think you're spot on. I think that's where a lot of people miss the boat, especially those that are in combat arms and in yourself as Apache pilot thing. It's the same thing. You're you're engaged in that type of mode where you're constantly thinking about enemy engagement and the thing. And all of a sudden you go into private sector and you go, okay, what am I suited for? And somebody tells you it's law enforcement or firefighting. And those are admirable, uh, you know, careers and everything. But there's so much more that goes into making up who you are as an individual that put, when you put on that uniform every day. And I think that's where you've got to find, you got to find that, that inner person and that person that was inside that uniform. You're still the same Emily. It's, and it's about finding those skills and those, um, those things that you were just describing that you'll probably find your passion. Your passion is definitely right in. I could hear your passion when you were describing the seed and how technology and how things need to, to improve. having your background and your knowledge and experience, you would be the ideal person to be able to help uh, determine the best way to make those seats more comfortable and to, to train pilots or to, you know, to, to make aircraft better or whatever the case may be. Um, And you don't have to be a pilot, an active pilot today to be able to do those types of things. Yeah, I, I definitely don't. Um, I do. I am pretty, um, I am pretty angry, um, at Boeing and the Apache right now. So, you know, with Ryan's death, uh, on April 6th, that, um, right now my reality is not working in and around army aviation. Sure. Um, but you know, obviously that can ta- can ta- can change, and, and grieving takes time. The um, it it was very it was very difficult is very difficult to be on the maintenance side, especially at the level uh, I have been, especially with the Echo Model program. You know, I've been with Echo Models since we fielded them in 2013, and we deployed with the first Apache Echo Model to Afghanistan in 2014. So when there's echo model specific questions, uh, you know, I, I, I have worked closely with, with, um, with the factory in Mesa and just with the maintenance program in general. And so when there are maintenance related issues, I get, I get phone calls from my friends, from my brother saying, Hey, I'm what's up, you know, what's up with the strap pack issue. What's up with the pump rumble issue. What's up with whatever issue, um, you know, I, I'm getting ready to deploy. I got to go fly tonight. Is the aircraft safe? And it's it's put all all of us as maintenance test pilots. You know, I know um, I, I've had this conversation with other MTPs. It's it's a difficult it's a difficult kind of fence to walk where I don't want to affect pilot confidence unnecessarily if it's not a legitimate issue. Sure. But I'm also kind of encouraged not to talk about certain things until they're released publicly. And it's uh, it, it puts me in a really difficult – I really resent being put in the position where I have to, you know, tell – and ultimately, it's their decision. You know, ultimately, it was Ryan's decision to get in that aircraft and go fly that day. I spoke to him uh, that day. And um, – and, you know, my, my other buddies have told me, you know, we all we get flight pay for a reason. It's a dangerous job. It's just it's a da- just a dangerous job. But that's, again, um, 
right right back to it's one more reason that I'm I'm grateful that I'm sober because I could not have. Uh, I, I think I would have had a very dif- difficult time getting through not I, being right in the middle of this transition. I've been sent home for you know UCOM is not a deployment please. It's not a deployment, but I was getting sent home from a rotation early. That had never happened to me in my life. I had never left my team, my brothers early, gone home early for any reason. So that in and of itself was just soul crushing. It was really soul crushing. And then, uh, you know, I was home for, uh, five days when Ryan crashed and, um, so all all of these things that my my mental emotional and spiritual armor is so much stronger today with without alcohol and nothing wrong with alcohol take a shot for me <laughs> just, um, I had really I had really gotten myself into a position where I was trying to treat treat this depression and treat you know all these kind of compounding this trash compactor of shit I was stuffing down with alcohol and found myself in in the summer of 2016 just depressed, miserable, um, suicidal, and realized that the the one thing that was common every time I was miserable was was alcohol. And so I was able to go walk in and get some help through a 12-step program and have been sober ever since. Um, and that's, that's helped me tremendously deal with all of it. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to say uh, we're very sorry about the loss of your friend and and um, fellow teammate and everything. And um, secondly, congratulations on being sober for so long. That's that in itself is a great feat. I've known people that have struggled with that for many many years, and I it's it's something that never ends. It, you'll always have to work on that um, as you go through life and. Certainly, you've gone through some pretty uh, rough challenges here lately, and it would have been the opportun- perfect opportunity. Um, so it just shows your will and determination towards that. So that's commendable. It's it it all goes to what I'm starting to see. If it's not if it's not working with the Apache program and not continuing to kind of pass on that knowledge, if and I see that, of course, I see that through my Instagram platform, and you know, I use that kind of my Instagram platform has funnily enough, really become a spot to put kind of my daily inventory out there where I'm at, you know, the, my brutal honesty and to get one or two responses a day. And sometimes I get private messages from people who say, I just needed to hear that today. Yeah. I, I needed to hear that. I needed someone to say that. And I get messages a lot, a lot from females saying, um, you know, I struggle with the same things and I never thought someone like you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would, ever, would ever struggle with those things. And, um, so this, this little glimmer kind of, of, even if it's not what I do for a living, even if it's not what puts, puts food on the table and keeps a roof over my head, if this can be a portion of what I can do to give back, uh, for, for all of it, you know, you guys know from from the last time we spoke a couple of years ago. You know, my story starts out, you know, it in a in a weird place. You know, getting a GED and getting pregnant when I was fifteen and starting out kind of from scratch. So to to be here where I'm at now and um, be okay, yeah, <laughs> like be okay is is pretty is pretty remarkable to me. I'm I'm. I never run out of reasons to be grateful. 
you know, getting back to the, the transition and everything at this point, what are they talking about as far as period for the medical board and those types of things? How long is that going to take? And, you know, is it looking more and more inevitable that it's going to definitely be a, a you know, a P3 or P4 type profile and you're, you're going to be separated? The, I got the P3 profile back in May. My, the MEB portion of my board is already complete. And I, it looks like I will actually be out of the army in September. Wow. They, they told me I, the, my, my representative told me yesterday that I would have my percentages in mid August. So it looks like it's happening much, (laughs) much, much sooner than later, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. It's going to be. It's going to work out exactly the way it's supposed to as long as I continue to do the work. Uh, As long as I don't go, Jesus, take the wheel. And as long as I'm out, (laughs) as long as I'm out there actively trying to, you know, make the next step happen and knock on doors and continue to knock on doors. And if they don't open, move on to the next opportunity. If that one doesn't open, move on to the next opportunity and just keep grinding. Like there's, you just got to keep grinding. So that's what. And do it with, uh, you know, a little, a little honesty, a little humility, a, a little, um, you know, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness is kind of the words that get thrown around in the program a lot. And that's a, uh, if I if I can be honest about my motives, if I can be open-minded to somebody else's view other than my own, and I can be willing to try whatever whatever it takes, then I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> well, it looks like you've been doing a lot of self-reflection here lately, you know, and, and you're talking about your Instagram and, and how you've been putting yourself out there. Um, I think it's been great to follow here lately because you have been exposing yourself. And one of the things that's hard to do is really uh, open yourself up to others and, and be real about that. And um, I think in your case, you're you're doing that. And like you said, if you touch one person or two people along the way, it, it's really all worth it. And that's kind of what we do here with the podcast. We always kind of look at it as, well, if we got one listener that we help, you know, along the way or reaches out and we're the same way. If we get some kind of message that comes out, there are days where, where you know, you feel like, all right, should we continue doing this? Is anybody really paying attention? And, and then you get that message that says, oh, my God, I found your podcast and it's great and everything else. You don't believe how much that kind of lifts you up. And and so that kind of pick you up and stuff has happened to you. And I think it's because you're sharing your wonderful message that, out there uh, to people where they can, you're being real. You're actually being Emily and they're seeing that rawness and that realness on the other side of it. Now it's about uh, the next step, you know, and, and it sounds like here lately in the, the Instagram posts that you've been doing, you've been uh, discovering a little bit more about Emily each day. So, I mean, I think it was yesterday's uh, post or a few days ago uh, where you, you kind of mentioned something about that. You know, I, I definitely, as, as I get done, in, Instagram, I guess social media in general is kind of a, a funny place. And, man, users can – I demand content. Right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I don't find Apache anymore. I can't give you Apache content. But yeah. I've got a bunch of pictures, and I've got friends that are still that are. I bet still you can do you can do Apache content for the next twenty years, <laughs> and people see it. Watch Gary V, man. Gary V talks about developing content all the time, and I, people follow you because of you. That's right, right? Because of you, but the pictures kind of add to it. There are a lot of guys that I know in SF that have been doing that, 
Um, and they've been out for as long as I've been out. So three, four years later, you know, the, the same pictures come back up. You tell a story and you're going to you're going to keep reaching that audience. So don't stop. Man. That's that's really uh, that's helpful to hear. It, it really is. I I got a I got a message from a gal today, Robert, that's so funny that you say that because I've said the the same thing to her and she came, kind of wrote me this long, you know, a million pages. I, I feel called to serve. I want to be in army aviation. I get asked the question that annoys the shit out of me. Like, what's it like to be a girl in aviation? I'm like, you're asking the wrong question. Right. You're asking the wrong question. If your first question is what's life like as a female doing X, then you're asking the wrong question. Totally. Are you, are you driven and compelled to do it? Are you driven and compelled to do X? Are you driven and compelled to be value added to the team? If you're driven to do all of those things, don't be dumb. Don't blow every guy in your fucking platoon and you'll be fine. Um, but but anyways, but so I responded back to her and I said, I definitely, I definitely, there are days when I go, this is, is this what my life's about? Do I need, am I afraid to hit the delete button because I have 18,000 followers? Like that's, that's ludicrous. Right. Is that, is that why I want to keep doing it? Is this becoming something that I'm seeing uncomfortable behaviors, um, kind of rear their ugly head and that's not the case that's not the case I, I really do genuinely hope to reach people but i told her getting those messages helps tremendously and i have been reading a lot lately i got a lot of time i got nothing to do but go to appointments it's crazy <laughs> uh i've been reading a lot of blogs and leaders are readers yes for absolutely and reading that blog that the soft lake guys posted about what their kind of die living thing means. Yeah. And that question, those questions, you have three weeks to live. Yeah. Where do you go? What do you do? Who do you do it with? And those were questions that I had been asking myself since Ryan died. I don't know. I'll never understand that day when I spoke to Ryan was the first time I had talked to him in six months. Now we have been together since flight school, all of, all of us in the same group. We got out of flight school, came to Fort Hood together. We deployed to Iraq in 2011 together. We were in the same company. We progressed as PIs to PCs together. I, I went out to um, Maine to his wedding. Uh, you know, I know his family. Then we went to JBLM together and we deployed in 2014 together. So all of these things. Ryan actually went to 160th. He assessed after me. And so when I went to assess, he was trying to hit me up for all this G2, like, you know, what's it like? And I was like, I sucked. And <laughs> yeah, but Kellen Ryan, who's a former army diver, like a legit dive bubble guy, like one of the very few army divers. They, it's not a huge, I didn't even know it was an MOS until I met Ryan. Um, but he spent deployments on the oil rigs in Kuwait, you know, in, you know, doing the dives and, you know, checking the in, structural integrity of the oil rigs and stuff out there. I was like, you're going to go assess for 160th. And you're going to tell them if you want to join their organization or not. Like, that's how that's going to go. Yeah, awesome. Me, it, that is not how it went for me. <laughs> not how it went for me. I did not do well in the pool. Um, the And sure enough, Ryan went there. He, um, he made it through Green Platoon. He made it to the unit and just didn't, as a little bird guy, and just didn't care for it. He So he left you know, handshakes, good terms all around and went back to the Apache community to be an instructor pilot at, at Fort Campbell. So anyway, 
my point is when I spoke to him that day after that happened, that's one of the things I wrote in my journal two days after he died. Like what would Ryan have done differently if he knew, if he knew that that was his last day. And I had to get really real with myself about a lot of, a lot of things in my life. You know, I've, I've posted a lot about my physical fitness and, um, you know, getting, getting back in shape and taking good, better care of myself physically. But there were ways I was not taking very good care of myself emotionally. And, um, and I, I had to ask myself those questions and getting real about getting real about some of those answers in my life has been wildly uncomfortable because I've been a one-eyed king among blind men in some areas of my life for a long time where I look, I look pretty success. I look good on paper. And you know, that's what the guys at 160 have said to me when they didn't, when they didn't select me. One of the hardest things I have ever had to hear in my life was when I went to the board, sat through the board, they called me back in, told me, thank you for coming. Thank you for assessing, but we are not going to take you. And the head of the board, the full bird colonel looked at me, put it, put my packet down and said, and you looked so good on paper. Oh my and God. Rushed. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was crushed. So I had. Hey, to- just just for some perspective, I've sat on those kind of boards, and and we do that kind of stuff on purpose, and it's to, it's to garner a reaction in the moment to see what people are made of, and to see if they come back. I don't know if they offer an opportunity to come back to to to, to fly for one sixtieth or not, but but if you're going to the National Mission Forces, if you're going to SFAS, anything like that. A lot of those things are done, and and you talk about it beforehand. It's mm-hmm. not in the moment; it's planned to see how. I mean, maybe that statement just to kind of see what M's made of, and to see where you're going to go next. So don't take that to heart, you know. I I think that there was some of it that, um, there was some of it that I needed to take to heart, and, and I'm sure it was a it was a very canned thing. And you know, I came back immediately. I said, I appreciate the feedback. I would like an opportunity to come back and try again. And they, you know, I was 39 at the time and they were like, are you sure bitch you're old? And I was like, no, I want to come back. I want to try again. And then I turned 40 and I was like, Oh no, 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 no. That was hard. <laughs> um, that was really hard. And I still suck in the pool. Um, and you're but, really 26. So stop. Talking yeah. Yeah. About yeah. Yeah. God. You could not pay me to go back to man. These girls, lying about you couldn't pay me you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go back to being 26 <laughs> oh my god i was an idiot the but those are those are the kind of questions that that i'm i'm asking myself yeah. now and i think this this is a period in my life where it is i'm experiencing leaps and bounds in terms of my personal goal, goal growth even though i recognize you know in that process um, it's it's very painful to admit that I'm I'm am making and have made mistakes that the impact and hurt other people, uh, and that's all all I can do is own up to those things and and apologize, make amends to the people that that need them, and try and get better the next day. The the one day at a time thing has really been helpful to me. Man, I don't have to quit drinking forever. Right. I have to quit drinking for today. Yeah. I don't have to not be a fat bitch and eat Taco Bell forever. I just have to try and try and not be a fat bitch and eat Taco Bell today. Um, <laughs> so that being able to break the elephant up 
yeah. into these manageable chunks. And that whole, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That has been, that has been, cause we, I think we're trained to kind of, we have to see a big picture, you know, especially as we become leaders, uh, you know, we, our job is to be able to see the big picture and we kind of have to have everything in our periphery and we've got to be able to action on any, anything that's going on in that. And it, it becomes, it has become difficult for me to pan that back into a narrower field of view to say, what can I affect right now in this moment? All of these things are still going on, but what can I affect right now in this moment? And that's not all this other shit that I was trying to fix. It was, and, and what can you control versus yeah. what you can't control? Yeah. That uh, of what you can't control. Yeah. That's the important yeah. thing, you know, and, and the things you can affect, do something about it. But if you can't, you can't. And, and that's it. You've got to move past that and, and let it go. You know, the, and I know I talked about it a couple of times on my Instagram post, that headspace app. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. Headspace is the, it's a guided meditation app and they've got some free, some free bundles that you can try it out and then you can pay for a subscription that I had been trying every day to do a little bit of meditation, even if it's just sitting quietly. I don't know if I would call it meditation. I read a lot of books on Buddhism and, um, but mostly I just journal and try and read something positive in the mornings and sit quietly and kind of get centered. I would call it, I found this headspace app and decided I would give it a try. Well, uh, like at Doug the Elephant Slayer, uh, some of the Softleet guys had talked about it in a couple of their blogs, and I was like, "That's really cool. I dig it." I- I'm to the point now where every morning I do 20 minutes of that. It guides you through these kind of simple, silly visualizations about you know just feeling your body weight in one place, kind of doing a, a little miniature self-assessment of how you're feeling physically, and then focusing on your breath. And then they, the illustration they use is kind of dropping a question in the pool of your brain. And I'm doing one of their packs on acceptance, on specifically on acceptance. And the interesting question that I asked yesterday was, instead of focusing on what you need to accept, I think about a lot in terms like, man, you know, this situation sucks, this med board sucks, I just need to accept it. Rather than framing it like that to ask myself, what am I resisting? Like, rather than what do I need to accept, accept what part of this process am I resisting? And instead of trying to fix it, just asking myself that question in the third person and then sitting for 20 minutes and kind of reflecting and then trying to get back to that reflection throughout the day. And that has just in the last, just in the last two days since I discovered that yesterday morning has been, has been something that has has been a, a real unique and new way to look at things for me as I get like angry and upset at somebody in Walmart, for instance, what, what am I resisting in this moment? Like, what about this interaction with this person? Is- you should have persisted going to Walmart. Yeah, I was going to say, you should, maybe it's, you shouldn't be in there, Emily. Yeah. I, that's exactly, that's exactly what. <laughs> I, I get the same way at Whole Foods, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Whole Foods is a pretty cool place. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm just I'm I'm one crack away from choking the shit out of somebody every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely dislike people. And I know that's like a, that's a pretty popular opinion nowadays. Yeah. I was talking to a buddy today on Instagram who these guys get catfished. All these guys that get catfished. I was like, I don't know whether to be insulted that I've never been catfished. <laughs> like am I not attractive enough to be catfished? That's kind of 
hurts my feelings a little bit. Um, it was real similar to when we were in Iraq. I would be like, I'd ask the guys, like, is there any graffiti about me in the bathroom? And they're like, no, oh my God, who graffiti about you? And I was like, that hurts my feelings. Like, nobody's like, I wish I could bang. No. Anyway, um, ego is a crazy thing. But I was talking to a buddy today. I was like, I wish people were less reliable. I wish they were just less reliably shitty. Uh, I wish they could just practice a little bit of, you know, open-mindedness, a little humility, and admit when they've made a mistake. But um, they aren't. They're really super reliably awful 99.9% of the time. But again, well, I spend all my day with kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a choice about how I action on that. You know, that that's my choice. If George was on here from Softlead, of course, George Brionis has come on oh, here yeah. several times as a host for many months. And uh, he talks about, you know, breathing and center mm-hmm. and the whole types of things a lot. But I know, Mike, you practice as well every morning, just taking time out. And sometimes for Mike, and, and I used to do it in the past, and I need to get back to doing it. You know, where you sit down, even if you read a book or start doing something that's outside of social media, um, where you're just spending some me time, you know, is so important as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, and you're putting me on the spot here, so, you know, everybody's going to think I'm, you know, weird. But I, I use an app called Daily Calm, and, mm-hmm. and I, I do the same thing. I do it day and I do it at night as I'm, as I'm going to sleep. Uh, a lot of it's just kind of general, but the, the in the morning, and I downloaded the Headspace app that you talked about while we were talking a minute ago so i'm going to give that a shot but I, it's kind of the same thing it, it poses one thing a day for about 10 minutes uh so if you can devote 10 minutes to just thinking about one thing a day um that has nothing to do with all the pressure you're under everything that you're going to do at home everything you got to do at work uh it's just one thing in general that gives you time to just focus and think and, and it's and it's quiet uh and, and you know, I, I think that's why I get up so early to do something like that. And then the reading part, Robert, I think it's kind of the same way. You've got to read something a, a, a different than professional reading, different mm-hmm. than any type of development. It's just got to be uh, – I, I, mean, I don't read fiction, but for a lot of people, it's fiction. It's fluff. It's something that, that you can just kind of lose yourself. I don't watch TV either, so if you watch TV, maybe you could do it with TV. But a lot of it's just maintenance you know, on, on yourself. And it's time that you've got to carve out and dedicate to doing it. I, I shared I shared that with my students this year, and they all made fun of me. So I kept talking about it every day, and I turned it into something everybody had to do. So we started doing it in the classroom, and by the end of the end of the year, at least the older kids, they they uh, you know, I think they got it. You know, mm-hmm. something that if you can just carve out, hey, we're not going to work for the next couple minutes. We're just going to sit. We're going to talk. Or we're going to sit. We're going to focus on this one question, or or listen to this you know, a piece of music or something that I heard. It's kind of cool. That's a lot. I think it's a lot harder for people of younger generation to do that's so enwrapped in social media. But um, I, I think, you know, when you're talking about TV, to me, TV can become very much the same thing as like social media where you're spending a lot of your time in front of a tube and, and you're not really in the moment as you're describing, Emily. And I think that's what's so important is that you place yourself in the moment focused on what you can deal with right now, what you're supposed to be concentrating on and shut off the outside world. And by doing so, you find out more about yourself. The, and I was going to say one of, one of the things I like so much about that app is he has an English accent. Oh, he there he is. English See, accents. Well, yeah, you, and on Daily Calm, it's a smoking hot Canadian chick. <laughs> know that too. So I, we, can, uh, we can always set it up where Scott does his Welsh accent and everything on the app. But. <laughs> I, 
Welsh, not English. Yeah. <laughs> the, one of the, and, and I won't, you know, the, the program is anonymous for a reason, but there is this old gentleman talking this last Sunday, and he was talking about those things that we do for daily maintenance. And the one of the things he said is, if I'm not doing if I'm not waking up, and for him it's prayer, but if I'm not waking up every morning in my meditation and centering and journaling, it's just the same as if I watch an exercise program on TV. If I spend an hour watching Jazzercise, I am not going to reap the benefit of this exercise that I'm simply observing or simply talking about doing. And just going to meetings won't keep you sober, just like just going to church won't make you a good whatever religion you're services you're attending. So I really realized when I was in UCOM, when I was um, not afforded the opportunity to go to meetings, there were just no no recovery meetings in my area. Um, I actually started one on Wednesday nights. And that was that was pretty funny. I sat by myself once a week in the chapel month and sat by myself. Anyway, (laughs) I started getting up two hours early. And I will tell you, on the days that I did not do it, when I journaled just a few lines in the evening, holy crap, could I tell the difference. And it all boils down to for me, if I do not start my day in center, it is that much harder to return to center. But when I wake up and just sit quietly for, t- I get ready first. First of all, I, you know, because I'm in the military, I get ready. I make my coffee. I take my shower. I do my hair. Cause that takes me like two and a half hours. It's really, this, this all doesn't happen overnight. Um, <laughs> but, that, but that way I'm that, that time is mine. You know, I, everything is done. I'm not procrastinating. I'm ready. Like my boots are on and then I sit down and I, I have always been in my life one of those girls that goes and buys like the really fancy journal and I love, you know, paper stores and stuff. And then I start one line and like, I'm so excited to start journaling. And then I never do it again. Well, this time since my sobriety, I have journaled every single day. It, (laughs) holy shit. When I'm in the midst of a crisis where I feel like, this is the end of the world. And oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I can go and see what I wrote six months ago during my last crisis where that I thought was the end of the world. And then the next day I can just read my thoughts and go, Hmm. Yeah. That, that wasn't the fucking end of the world. I guess I'll be okay. And getting to see that pattern and learn from, learn from me and my pattern and my emotional responses to things. And change them, (laughs) you know, change the way I I react to to certain things in certain situations and just be able to see hope on the paper to see how how much growth when it doesn't when it happens in these little increments, it's so difficult to see growth and to be able to read back my entry on July 10th of 2016 and go, that bitch was struggling. You know, that was right before just just a few short weeks before I quit before I quit drinking for good. So um, I think the uh, the other part of that, though, is you're doing something. It's not just you're reading, you're meditating, but you're taking an action. Because what that what I'm picking up is that you're reading something from the past. And what you're seeing is how much you've grown since that period of time or how much you've changed or the actions that you took or um, the fact that you are still here, you know, type of thing. So you took an action beyond that. So you have to do something more than just... Um, 
I don't know, just being in the moment. There's something you have to change about yourself. It is, it is absolutely taking an action. And, um, you know, and the, the, the phrase that's in the book, you know, and the, the text of Alcoholics Anonymous was written in 1939. And so it's, it's dated in a lot of ways. However, one of the things it talks about in, you know, there's, there's hope, there's a, there's a solution to this problem is that faith without works is dead. And one of the biggest things I think that is dominant in anything, whether it's, you know, Buddhism, Taoism, Christianity, you know, Islam, whatever, is that if, a solution to any problem is to reach out and help someone else. That I mean, I cannot be, I cannot stagnate in self pity, and I call it the petulant child. I write about the petulant child all the time. Man, I want to be able to eat Taco Bell and weigh 130 pounds and be an Instagram model. Man, um, so I I struggle with my petulant child a, a lot. But if I can just get out of self, just to pick up, even if it's just to pick up the phone. So I think about like, hey, man, those Instagram messages really mean a lot to me where somebody reaches out to me and says, what you what you posted today made a big difference in my life. Am I doing that for somebody else? Like, am I reaching out to somebody else who's impacting me like you dummies and saying, you know, hey, thank you, you know. Yeah. This and here's the concrete, not just a thank you, but here's a concrete way that it impacted me today. And here's something I was struggling with that your experience directly assisted me. Um, yeah. Am I picking up the phone and making a phone call? Am I texting somebody? Am I shooting an email out? Am I going to the store, going to Walmart and buying a card <laughs> and putting it, putting it in the mail to somebody? You know, well, that's so a lost that, art. Yeah, I, I know. I, I still love it though, but. Um, but those are, those are, like you said, Robert, those are those, uh, something I can do right. <laughs> to, to get out of self, to get, um, you know, to grow, to get better. What's next for Emily then? <sighs> the, the, the job fair I went to, um, actually had a company that's based in Oregon and, I had kind of given up on the dream of going home to Oregon, uh, but I feel I feel a real compulsion to be on the West Coast, near the ocean specifically. And I was walking around that job fair, and there was a company that had a star up on the Oregon coast. And I said, stopped at the booth, and I said to the woman, you know, are you looking for Apache pilots in Coos Bay? And she said, no, but we are looking for maintenance managers at our lumber mill. Um, she said, can you come back at five o'clock today and uh, interview with us? So I went back that day and did a panel. The company happens to be Georgia Pacific. They run an operating oh, yeah. number. And the facility called me back last week. And, uh, you know, the more, the more I've read about it and the more I'm seeing the way my soft skills you know, because a production environment where they're producing, you know, lumber, two by fours, is very similar to what we generate, which is combat power. You know, I, I generate combat power for us to be able to go, you know, kill people and bring good guys safely home. But um, they're flying me out on the 19th. In fact, I made my travel arrangements today. They're like paying for everything. It's it's kind of surreal. Like, what do you mean? I don't have to file my TDY voucher <laughs> six months from now yeah. and then wait until it go. my government travel card goes to collection for you to pay me back. And, um, but the, the travel coordinator called me today. And so I'm going out to Oregon on the 19th and do a site visit with, with these people. And we'll see if it's a good, good fit for us. 
Um, but it, at least, again, looking for the things I can use, it at least shows me that I have value. Yes. That my skills are marketable. That I I asked them for a certain dollar amount and they didn't even blink at me. And I was like, crap, I should have asked for more money. These are all takeaways and i'm working really hard on that on that acceptance but not being tied to an outcome yeah so you know this goes back to that knocking on those doors well you know i'm gonna knock just just like going to the board just like going to assess i'm gonna knock just as hard on that door whether or not they're going to take me that is not you know the outcome is unknown i'm gonna work just as hard regardless of the outcome it's the same for this these are the kind of lessons that if this isn't if this isn't the opportunity another one like this will come along and i will be even better prepared but do you see what you just did there though uh, emily and i don't know if you picked up on it the old emily was the person in the 160th interview that didn't say i need to be here you need me what did you just do when you went to that and walked by that booth you made a statement in the way of hey are you looking for somebody like me? Because I might be looking at somebody like you. And it's a different type of person that just changed um, over that period of time. Your confidence is there. Um, it's back. And, and and that's one of those things. And it's a different type of confidence, mind you. You know, it's uh, at least I, I see it coming out. It's It's funny that it's really... It's not funny because I, I know it's true and I know that you are a really good observer of people that when the SP who was assessing me, who came out from JBLM to assess me, he said the one thing with you all week long was your confidence. He's like, we were back and forth and back and forth. And I knew it to be true. I knew it to be true. And the, the thing I always say, like my rote answer for that, it was that I was overconfident and underprepared. And uh, the... It, it it is a new it is a new kind a new kind of confidence and I think it was something that I really had had stagnated I had really stunted my growth with with the alcohol and I I was using it to to not feel and not deal and the army allowed me to be in this holding pattern because I could do the bare minimum like I could do the army drunk <laughs> that was mm. like everyone everyone does the army drunk <laughs> um, so. I could so you know, many the, great taglines in this. The one I came among blind men thing comes up, you know, here I was and I could, I could recite off my story and how I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I've done all this great things. I'm a chief warrant officer three and I'm a girl and I'm a petrol pilot. Man. Um, but I was drunk and I was miserable and I was not growing. I was not growing and I was, I was uh, on the road to, to killing myself because I was unable, I didn't, I didn't have the coping skills uh, to deal with what I was feeling. Didn't want to, didn't want to deal with mm-hmm. it. And the, the confidence that I'm working on feeling today is based on a, a much more authentic version of me that can be vulnerable and unsure and, um, and in some ways weak, but not weak. I don't mean weak in a negative, as a negative word. Sure. I mean, as I have room to grow, like just like someone who starts out lifting weights right, is weak. Right, right. If I can only do five pound dumbbells, I am just physically by the nature of the definition weak, but I'm working to get stronger and I'm not satisfied with, 
the rocking chair. The rocking chair is my big analogy. Am I making this big production about this kind of um, appearance of movement, like sitting there rocking away in a rocking chair? But when you're in that rocking chair, you're not ever going anywhere. And I had spent a lot of time doing that. Like I'm talking about all oh, this shit I'm going to do and I'm working on my self-improvement. I'm going to buy a new book this week, but I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I read that passage in this daily meditation book that I have um, about that rocking chair. Like how many people do you see in and around the program or in your life in general that are big talkers, but you just don't see their life going anywhere. You don't, you know, it doesn't appear from the outside at least. Um, that they're, they're making any headway. And I was like, well, I see that when I look in the mirror. So let's, let's start putting the rubber to the road. So many years ago, there was a, uh, an M and a book that I used during mergers and acquisitions, and it's called five frogs on a log. And in the book, the very first little story is, um, there were five frogs sitting on a log Four decided to jump off. How many are still in the log? The answer five. Because there's a difference between deciding and doing. So what I hear from you is now you've gained your confidence. You found more about who you are. You understand, again, the hunger and the growth. Uh, and you've channeled now everything into a different way. Um, and it's, it's a new career, a new Emily. And it's an excitement about building whoever that is and whatever that is. The same way you did when you came into the military and you were finding your way. Or when you became an Apache pilot and it was something new. And you wanted that growth and you wanted to be something more. It's exact same person. It's exact same person. It's just the uniform and the outward part of that. The clothes have changed. It's true. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's true. And it's, I feel like I live my life today with my, with my eyes so much more open. Uh, I'll give you a real quick example. I had my CMP, you know, my, my appointment with the vet, with the VA to kind of diagnose all my ailments, whatever I do my exam with this woman and this should be a pretty run-of-the-mill appointment. You know, it's going to be an hour of my life, an hour of her life. She's got three more behind me. And she turned, she's this older black lady, uh, um, what's it called? Nurse practitioner. So yeah. she's damn, damn near a doctor. And um, she's got her crosses and her music, you know, her gospel music plan. And she's just the old Southern, you know, Christian woman. And she turned to me and she was looking over her reading glasses at me. And she said, honey there are seasons to life and this is just the end of one season for you and the start of a new season for you. Love it. Love it. Loved it. Loved it. But <laughs> I thought, how, how many times has the universe placed, I feel like she's like an NPC in a video game. Like how many times <laughs> have I been wandering around the Skyrim world and not stumbled upon this one NPC in one random world um, who's meant to tell me that? And so now I feel, I, I, I joke about it. I'm like, now I feel like my eyes are a lot more open looking for these med packs laying around the video mm -hmm. game of life. Like, <laughs> where are these, these kind of tools and resources that I'm supposed to see if only I will get out of myself for a second um, and, you know, kind of observe and partake in the world around me. This was a really monumental weekend for me. I made plans with three different people. I kept all of those plans. <laughs> I went out of the house. Um, I'm, I'm living in an Airbnb with a gal and she has two other 
tenants and there's a dog and, you know, I, I'm really learning more about myself that I've got to keep myself out of isolation. I, I do very poorly when I, when left to my own devices, um, you know, and I'm, I'm surrounded by people, you know, the Takeros have been with me and loving me and supporting me for 10 years. I had not been to their house once whether it was at Texas here before, whether it was JBLM. And now I go out to their place all the time and, and taking advantage of the people that are just trying desperately to to love me and support me and be there for me and walk this road and help carry my ruck um, has been, I think has been the most kind of the most shocking growth for me. Like, holy shit, I return phone calls. Oh. <laughs> well, and you're also giving back. Or you're thinking about doing it in a different way. Because in the past, you might have not even realized that you were giving back through your posts. But people were reading them. And in some way, you were they were taking a message from that. Uh, now you're going to be more conscious of it. Because now you want to be more real and raw and trying to share some things for the purpose of trying to give back. Um, so you're going to be somewhat self-journaling online, it sounds like, in social media. Because you've been doing it already. And, and those little bits will will pay so many dividends in somebody else's life and they may not share it with you emily but you have to know that you're making a difference somewhere um and and that's what keeps us doing what we do each week is knowing that somewhere somehow we're making a difference somewhere and um you know it's what kind of keeps us going and and what one of the things we love doing i wish you nothing but the best there on their trip that's coming up for sure but I love the fact, before I even had to state it, that if it doesn't work out, there's another one coming around the corner because I could hear the soft confidence coming out. It was so good to hear that. Um, so I think it's awesome. Well, thank you so much for the chance to do this again. It has it has opened up a lot of doors for me and to interact with people that I had no idea would ever, would ever, ever hear my little old story. So that has been an enormous help to me. And just knowing that I had you guys to turn to, even if I didn't necessarily need to, just knowing that you guys were there and available and, and a mentor to me, um, especially now that I, that I come upon this transition has been hugely, hugely helpful. And it was really nice meeting you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four MIL, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MENTORSFORMIL or MENTORS4MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.